I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why'd you take your pants off? My balls are hot. I thought we had to have all the answers right now. And now? I'm kind of liking the fact that I don't. If one of us goes to war, we all go to war. Welcome back to Love and the Fighter. I'm your host, Charles Tajisco, and it is great to be back here with all of you. So I hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode. I know we talked about like a lot of more more serious things with Omar Badar, but I think it's pretty cool when you have really smart friends. You you hope you get like the rub off. You know, you hope that you get sm- smarter by just being in their presence. Um, so I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> uh, self-deprecating humor. No, uh, you know it's funny because I, I brought that up because I've noticed as this quarantine has gone on. There's been a steady decline in my like sharpness and articulation, and I notice it randomly. Right, I was on the phone with my boss, and I noticed like when he would talk, I just like my response was like, "Yeah, absolutely, no, that sounds great." Like it wasn't, I wasn't really given as much feedback, but I was listening. I was hearing what he was saying, and maybe it was just a coincidence that I didn't have much to say back. Uh, maybe it was at the end of the day. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of factors that go into it, but I just noticed that the fluidity of my sentences and responses and just social skills, they're, they're almost declining a little bit. And as a commentator, that's a big concern of mine. I think the other thing might be that it's just, I'm not really engaged in as much. Whereas when the economy is open, I'm thinking about MMA and there's news and I'm always talking about it. I'm obviously very engaged in that versus consulting for the defense department. But nevertheless, it's just something I've noticed I was playing Xbox, by the way, I was playing Xbox. I've been playing way too much Xbox, but it's a good time kill and I've been enjoying it. I'm not going to lie to you. I haven't played this much since I was probably in seventh grade in Halo 2 when that came out or eighth grade when Halo 2 came out. I've been playing so much and I've been enjoying it though. I'm not going to lie to you guys, but my, even my call outs, I'm like stuttering more. I'm just like not, like I'm forgetting the names of things. I'm, I'm just like, what is going on here? It's just not really making a lot of sense to me. And it's just weird. It's just weird sometimes when you're, and I wonder if you guys have felt this too, just you're living your day-to-day life, but you feel like you're just not quite operating as, as sharply. That's like, it's like you're, you're a little bit dull. It's, it's not even a matter of this dramatic, like, oh, I'm not functioning well, or I'm losing my mind. It's really just, it seems like your knife or your sword needs to be sharpened just a little bit as you're cutting through that steak. It just seems like it's a little dull. But with that said, you know, I missed last week, but I got to be honest with you guys, with MMA in the current landscape right now, it's hard to talk about it because me and Omar got into it for the good part of, you know, 25 minutes of the conversation we had, and that card fell apart the next day, which was something we had talked about and something I had spoken to uh, in the writing and fighting class that I've been able to really participate in at least every Friday, but sometimes more with Uh, Nancy Kidder. She's the professor who organized the Writing and Fighting Symposium that I got to be a part of alongside Luke Thomas and Karen Bryant, among others. So just, you know, by and large, it's, it's hard to talk about MMA too much right now because there's just a lot that a lot of talk, but no real action. Now, I am going to leave you guys with this, and I'm not going to get too into MMA today because um, outside of a couple questions, there's just, I want to get a little bit closer to those dates before we start giving full breakdowns again. But there is going to be a card May 9th, which is exciting, and that's been confirmed. Now, they don't know where. 
they're still figuring that out. And I think there's some other details that they have to sort out as well, but be on the lookout for that. And we will have a podcast that's dedicated to the return of MMA and how excited we all are about it and everything that goes with that. The other thing in MMA is the PFL gave this lengthy announcement that they're effectively suspending their 2020 season and they'll be returning in 2021 but they'll be paying all of their fighters a stipend throughout this process. Now, I found that to be really interesting because one, they're not a $4 billion company like the UFC and they're finding a way to pay for their employees, so to speak. And two, that's a big problem for a lot of these fighters because for a guy like Rory McDonald, that's going to be, I mean, when if he gets back on the very first card, that's going to be like two years off for a gentleman who's still relatively in his prime and arguably one of the best in the world. You know, a lot of people have been talking about his like retirement plan. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up coming back to the UFC for like a two or three fight deal just to try to get gold. But uh, nevertheless, um, I say that and I cut myself off prematurely before I go too far down that rabbit hole because they actually ended up cutting a third of their roster at least. So it's a lot easier to pay a bunch of people a stipend when you don't have to pay everyone a stipend. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think that's kind of where um, they and I say this in quotes, made back some of that cash. With that said, though, look, everybody's in a tough spot. There's there's a lot of situations where people are stuck. And I think for a lot of these companies that are trying to survive, they have to get a little bit more creative with the things they do to keep the, the, the ship afloat. Now, PFL is, again, an interesting for them to take off the whole season because they were not dependent upon their live gate to generate revenue. They were really dependent upon investor support, and that's how they were getting by. They weren't making that much money from live gates and everything that goes with that and ticket sales. They had a solid TV deal that didn't pay for production, so they were eating eating up that budget. They were paying their fighters quite well, and it was an expensive proposition. It's an expensive organization operating at a loss. However, they had a ton of investors, and they got a third round, and things were looking good for 2020. So I really do find it interesting from a strategic standpoint why they would opt to just cancel the season outright as opposed to putting on events and, and going from there. Putting on, oh, excuse me, events without a crowd and, and going from there. But they decided not to do that, which makes me think that the money's running dry in terms of additional rounds of investment. I don't think there will be any more. And I believe that they're going to be in a position where they're forced to rely on each event to generate revenue, much like Bellator and the UFC. So I think we're going to see that change coming out of the PFL because you can only throw money and build a war chest for so long before things start to fall apart. But the, you know, I have a couple Q&A questions we went ahead and got, but not too much to report on professional MMA from there. DMA updates, we're putting together some online videos. We're obviously, we're running with Zoom and everything that goes into that, the online classes. But, you know, guys, the, the current situation is this. At, at the least until May 8th, nothing is going to change. And the nature of our business might delay us a little bit longer than that. Now, not to get into the politics of everything, but we have some states that are opening the economy. And... Um, I have a little bit of an issue with some of these states doing it, like Georgia, for example, who the governor came out and said that he didn't know it was spread through human-to-human contact uh, within this month. I think it was in March. He, he admitted to that. Excuse me, uh, within last month. So I, I appreciate the honesty for sure, but when you have the CDC in your backyard and you don't really know much about the virus, that makes me a little bit concerned. And there's other states that I think are, it's perfectly reasonable for them to open. We talked about them on the podcast with Omar, those less dense the, the less densely populated states that 
um, don't have lockdowns and really never did, quite frankly, probably never needed them due to such a low population density. I think Wyoming was an example we talked about, but there's plenty of states that could reopen their economy and start up, start things up again under control without risking further damage to the nation with, with this pandemic. But there's other states that are jumping the gun, and guys, I'm telling you, they're making mistakes. Georgia's making a mistake. Florida's making a mistake. This is going to set us back, undoubtedly. And no matter how badly you want things to get better, if you don't take the proper precautions, things are not going to get better. And it really seems like, and and by the way, this is so easy for me to say, and I recognize this, because I don't have to, even though my business is generating no revenue, and that's been very, very difficult, I have a day job. I'm, I'm, I'm making money. I'm not dependent upon the government even though I'm trying to get as much help from them as I can, as an individual, I'm, I'm, I don't count. They're, I'm a non-issue to them. I'm making money. They're not going to give me any cash. And I'm like, fine, I don't need it. Cool. Life goes on. But there's a lot of people in this country who are dependent upon the paychecks that they get from going into their work and they're working in industries that unemployment benefits aren't going to cover. And just by and large, they need to get back to work. And I, I totally understand the economic impact and economic importance of continuing to live life. And maybe I'm just a little bit of, a, of uh, I don't want to say a germaphobe or a hypochondriac, but I, don't, I definitely don't want to get sick. I definitely don't want to get coronavirus. So I really wish we could all just kind of shelter in place and you know leave it alone. But it seems like everybody's going to, they're getting fed up with it. And I, I understand that too. I really do understand that as well. But, you know, we get a lot of finger pointing, you know, and, and I think I talked about a little bit. I think the media is really, really divisive. You know, they, they, the fact that they still have a platform in general is, is disturbing. I mean, I watch these coronavirus briefings every time they're on. I watch them because there's some entertainment value there. But at the same time, like, you know, I was watching, I think it was last night or the night before. It might have been Monday. I was watching Yamichi, this woman Yamichi, just pretty much yell at the president, cutting him off. And, you know, she was, she was berating him for having a, uh, a rally, a political rally in March, which he did 100%. He had it, but it was March 2nd in Charlotte, North Carolina. And when he brought up, you know, Nancy Pelosi having the, the Chinatown parade, which I think was February 27th or the 28th in San Francisco, which at that point had a coronavirus issue, it was kind of like him and hot. You know, it was like, oh, it's not a big deal. So there's definitely this this weird bias going on, and um, not to, to not think less less bias like Republicans versus Democrats. Think more like the media framing each individual issue. Right? It's not like a right versus left situation that I think a lot of people jump to, especially the right and the left right now. But there's a lot of there's a lot of framing of things, and this hindsight is twenty twenty situation when. I can tell you guys, throughout the month of March, I was doing my very best to keep the gym open. And up until we were forced to close, we, we closed like the week before we were forced to, I was holding out hope that we would be able to keep going. But my opinion of this, as I learned more and as I got more information, changed. I recognized that this was a bigger threat than I had initially anticipated, and it was a big deal. And I'm cool admitting that. Everybody has done this. There were so few people who were early on saying, everybody shut everything down. This is a disaster. The thing we did shut down, our borders to China, was there was some very heavy pushback against that, which led to these Chinatown parties. And furthermore, I don't think you could 
reasonably expect people to shut the economy down for something that the most people feel is a non-issue, right? Remember H1N1, remember Ebola. They didn't affect us. So why, why would this be any different? And obviously, now that we're in April and things have changed, the world has changed, the world is on, in a very dangerous position, this is different. It's very different. So I say all of this because it kind of, like the theme of everything, there's no, nothing really new to report with the UFC, and there should not be any live events. And I think each state should really ease their way back into this. I think the CDC and the NIH and Fauci and Dr. Burks, I think they all have a pretty good plan in terms of how you ease back into society. But, you know, I, I talked to Dr. Pete, and without good, strong antibody testing or a vaccine, which is even further off, this is a real issue. This is a real issue for a lot of people. So, you know, I want this to be over as soon as possible. I want my gym to open up again desperately, desperately. I just want to start deadlifting and squatting again, training and sparring and doing all that. But I really feel like we're doing ourselves a disservice by opening up certain areas that shouldn't be opened up too soon. Um, But that's all I'm going to touch on for that. And it kind of covers DMA. And before I go to the Q&A, I have an Amber Heard update. So I don't know if you guys remember, we talked about Amber Heard back months ago. There was this situation where she had accused Johnny Depp of being abusive. It was like a, kind of like a Me Too situation on Johnny Depp. And there was a lot of controversy on it because at the time, J.K. Rowling sided with Johnny Depp and did not kick him out of her movie. And there was this whole big thing and Amber Heard got like a starring role in Aquaman. And it was just like this, this really... It became like a Hollywood issue and uh, how could this person still be working when he's this evil guy, so on and so forth. Well, as it turned out, you know, she had pressed charges, sued him, yada, yada, yada. In court, it came out that the situation was actually reversed, that she was the abuser and he was the abused. And he then was able to sue her for all the money back, all the money that she sued him for, plus damages, and then some on top of that, um, just as like, you know, an extra, a little bit extra. Well, the newest update, as they've been in court and going through litigation, or, or as they've gone through litigation and begin, I think they're going to go to court. I, I'm not really good with legal stuff, but bear with me, guys. It turns out that Amber Heard falsified evidence, and now she's potentially facing, there's no way this will ever happen, up to three years in prison for this whole stunt. Now, I doubt that a woman as uh, stunning, let's just say it how it is, as Amber Heard, and as good of an actress as she is, I say that relatively serious, I don't think she's going to be doing any jail time. You can have a good lawyer, all that. I think this would be a really good opportunity to set a message and, and let it be known that you can't just falsely accuse those. But I would be surprised if anything happens to her. But I did want to give you guys that update because this was a really interesting case that nobody's hearing about now when this was a major deal when Johnny Depp was the abuser. Obviously, he wasn't. Um, however, now that Amber Heard was not only found out to be lying, but the abuser, and she falsified evidence, the media has really gone quiet with all that. That whole Me Too movement has really kind of shut down, obviously that, along with the Biden thing, Joe Biden obviously being accused multiple times and the media not running it. Ronan Farrow, who was the effectively the one of the reporters who, and also a brilliant guy, by the way, he was on uh, Dax Shepard's podcast. I didn't know anything about him, but he he like went to college when he was 12, and then he like got his MD and his, his uh, law degree. He's, he's got like PhDs. I, you know, I, I barely got a GED, but the guy is incredibly, incredibly smart. But he was the one who really came out and provided substantial evidence against Harvey Weinstein. And he really took up that fight and, and definitely put himself at risk. And he opted to not pursue this at all, 
which was really, really interesting. There's been a real silencing of the victim in this case. Uh, I think her name is Tara Reed, which reminds me of the, the actress from American Pie, but it's spelled differently. As well as Johnny Depp, who's in a completely different situation. But again, nevertheless, these are two victims who are just not being heard. In a time where you would think there'd be a lot more, uh, a lot less victim shaming and a lot more uh, victim hearing based on the way the the winds of Twitter and the sales of social justice. But it didn't go that way. But I did want to give you guys that update because I think it's important to talk about. But moving on, let's go to the Q&A from the quarantine. The first question is from Scott Dance. He was asking about advice for dating and uh, effectively getting women during the coronavirus, right? So obviously you're on lockdown. It's going to be a little bit more difficult to go out and go, you're not going out to dinner. You're not going for drinks. You're not going out dancing at a club. But I actually think this works in a lot of people's favor because everybody's a little bit restless. So if you can have good conversation and you can effectively, I don't want to say convince somebody to break quarantine, but you know, you, you do your, your uh, trust and verify, hey, have you been quarantining? I have. I'm not sick. Are you? You're not sick? Great. You go for a hike. You have them over for dinner. There's so much more you can do that one is going to put you in a better position for success if you're going for, uh, we'll just say intimacy. But two, it also is going to be a lot less on your checkbook. You're not going out buying drinks and Ubers and everything like that. Right now, you could park anywhere. You could drive anywhere. There's no traffic. There's a ton of stuff that people are eager to do with someone, like going on hikes or even just you go for a walk or cooking dinner or something a little bit more, more involved. But you're, gonna, you're, you're getting all of the advantages of somebody who's restless from being quarantined with none of the cons of having an open economy, like having to spend your money on this particular person. So I think right now it's actually better than ever. Just, it's just a matter of the the issue is really, um, the dating apps, right? Because you're effectively beholden to them. You can't go up to somebody in a grocery store and make conversation. There's not a lot of room for people to like have that chit chat and get back, you know, like be smooth. The, The way I describe it is right, right now, like James Bond would be struggling a little bit and he'd be on his own because he wouldn't be able to be James Bond, right? He wouldn't be able to get close and use that body language and make physical contact and, you know, do all those small things that generate interest and like sexual tension. A lot of that stuff is out the window. So you're effectively kind of stuck with apps or, or any like past conversations you've had with people to build off of. So from that aspect, it's just a matter of building conversation and, and getting to know one another and making sure that you have that kind of comfort from, uh, really from like a safety perspective, like a health and safety perspective. And then once you have that, it's just up to you to make the move. Be like, hey, I'm safe. I've been doing my due diligence. My apartment's clean. Why don't you come over? We'll make some dinner. We'll do this, that, and the other thing. Or we'll go on a hike, then come back for a you know smoothie. Or come over. I got a couple beers. We'll, we'll sit out on the patio and, and chat. Anything, I think, at this point uh, is going to be uh, it's going to lead to like a warm lead. Plus, logistically, it could not be better, right? You're putting yourself in a position where you can close um, if that's something you're trying to do, right? But good question. And uh, and hey, keep up the good fight. I know some of my buddies are just absolutely killing it right now, and it's awesome to see. But building off of that, I have two questions from Mrs. Sharina Goosemonster, friend of the pod. Her first was, are there more or less people on dating apps? And I had to think about that because my first, my gut instinct is, oh, there's definitely more. But then I was thinking about it and, and contrary to my last point, 
I think there's a lot of people who don't want to see anybody right now and who are quarantining and who just don't really want to go through the effort of meeting new people and going to their house for the first time or hanging out in isolated environments. So I think, I think it's probably about the same. I think that the, the loss you would get from people not wanting to take any risks or be involved or, or putting themselves in a situation where they're going to be going over to somebody's apartment for the first time and not meeting in a public place, like that's a very real thing. I think those people will probably self-select off at least until they build enough comfort through FaceTime and, you know, multiple conversations and things like that. Whereas I think the other other people who are like, hey, I'm pretty restless, but I got a good judge of character. I want to meet some folks. Uh, you know, I'm down to just hang out. I think though that's going to be where the influx is. So I think it's like a net neutral, like there, the, there hasn't been more or less, maybe a little bit less at, at worst, but I think the other side of the equation will more than balance out all the folks leaving the social media and da- uh, leaving the dating apps because it is a good way to kill time. And, you know, it's an opportunity to interact with people when we're all so deprived of just social interactions. It gives you a little bit of something. So, it, you know, it's kind of like a wishy-washy answer, but I think it's probably the same. But I think those who are on the dating apps now are either going to be more inclined to just talk and never have any action or much more willing to come over and initiate contact and break the quarantine, so to speak. So I know that that's both ways, but uh, your, your second question I found to be a lot more interesting, Sharina. Um, not that the first question wasn't, but you know what I mean, which was, will there be a change in the quality of relationships due to the quarantine? So I had to think about this one for a minute because you know you hear all of these stories about like all this divorces coming out of China. Like the joke is, oh, uh, you're going to either come out of quarantine pregnant or divorced. Well, I think it's a little bit more than that because it's not like it. Th- those are just two ends of the spectrum. I think for for a lot of people, and I'll definitely speak to personal experience here, you're spending more time hanging out as opposed to doing an activity together. So as opposed to hanging out, like hey, let's just you know come over, let's hang out, let's chill, and then you go home and you go your separate ways. I think that you're probably spending more time with somebody. And that is what's going to lead to a better bond or the realization that you're not meant to be together, right? So I think it's less like, oh, I'm up to my wit's end. And I'm saying this from a dating perspective, not like a married with family perspective because you already live together and you're already, you're in such a different phase that I can't really quantify that. One, it's hard for me to speak to, but two, that's, you've already really broken those barriers. Whereas now, like, let's say you got quarantined together and normally you would be living apart, but you're spending so much more time together because you are splitting groceries or it's safer in one apartment or you want to be close by in case anything happens and you're just forming that team. I think that is definitely making relationships stronger and more durable, right? Because two things happen. The more time you spend with somebody, the more you really get to know them. And I don't mean that as in like, Oh, you know, you get their political opinions or, oh, you know, you see them without makeup. I don't mean it like that. I mean it like you're, the way you interact with each other, the shows you watch, the, you know, time spent apart when you're together is really the key, right? So in my case, what I mean by that is, you know, if Grace is here and we spend a lot of time together, I know that she can go watch a movie and be perfectly content for three, four, five hours and I won't hear a word from her, right? And Granted, that's like not one movie, but you guys know what I'm saying. Whereas she sure as shit knows that I could play Xbox till my heart's desire. You know, if I got if I'm with the, the the boys and I'm playing Warzone and I'm into it, 
you know, that's it. And, and we get that time apart while not being physically apart. And I think that a lot of relationships would benefit from that. And they're going to see that in the quarantine, like, oh, wow, like, okay, cool. We have this sexual attraction. We have this great chemistry. We have, you know, we have a lot of fun doing all these things together, but really we can just coexist without having to be on, you know, like I don't have to be on right now. Now that doesn't mean I'm not stepping off the gas. So I think that's a really important caveat, right? Still working out, still doing my part. But I also have to understand, like, I'm not worried like, oh man, my hair doesn't look perfect today. Like I can't, I can't let her see me like this, right? Things like that. Or I can't let her see me waste four hours playing Xbox and getting way too emotional over it. Like that's just, Hey, you know what? That's something I'm doing right now. It's not anything like I'm not embarrassed about it. It's just, it is what it is. Is that something I would advertise if I was dating? Right? Like that's not going on a Bumble, Bumble profile, but that's who I really am. And I think in this quarantine, you're getting to see that as an advantage. So how that relationship builds from there, I think it's going to be, make, it's going to make things a lot stronger. I think it changes the way the, the the expectations of the relationship and the framework for them moving forward. Just in that you're going to be better at spending time apart while you're together. And I hope that answered your question, but that was definitely the thought that came to my mind there. Um, and for those that are just like, Hey, you know, it's not good. Maybe that tells you a little bit more about the, the hole in that relationship. Like I would, I bet you homebodies are doing pretty good right now. But if you're, you had a, you know, girlfriend or boyfriend and you guys loved going out to nice restaurants and you had all these nice experiences together, but by the third day of just hanging out at home, you were kind of sick of one another, that might be a situation where rather than be boyfriend and girlfriend, you would just be better off as, you know, like friends with benefits, right? Because you have a bond and you have chemistry, but it's really built around something. So when you have a bond or chemistry built around each other, the time apart when you're together or just kind of hanging out or being lazy or whatever it is you're doing, that's just time. It's just, it's still time spent. But when you have time spent around that, that revolves around an activity or a mutual interest or something like that, that's where you kind of see it's, it's not like a fair weather friend situation, but that's where you see the relationship thrive and also fail out of that. Right? So if you have friends, right? Like for anybody listening to the podcast who is a, like does MMA or jujitsu, you have jujitsu friends or you, if you're really into cars, you have car friends, but you might not talk politics with those car friends and you might not talk relationship advice with those jujitsu friends. And there might not be all of these circles that interconnect. I think when you have a real team, it doesn't matter what you're doing or what your interests are, there's going to be some overlap. And I think that's the, the Venn diagram, that center circle is bigger and bigger. And, it, and by the way, that's why DMA is such a strong community because we all, our whole relationship revolves around DMA as a community and people who train together. But so many friendships have been produced from that, that the, in the Venn diagram, if the center is, you know, your, your true friendship and the left to the right is the individual activity that you're supporting. When it comes to DMA, that center circle is much bigger than any individual art. And relationships are the same way. Right, and rela romantic relationships, I should clarify, are the same way. If you have a relationship that revolves around experiences and activities, when you're not having those experiences or activities, it's going to be a little bit more challenging than if you have a connection that revolves around each other, right? Like, I think I, I mentioned this about, you know, you know who your boy, every, every guy friend wants to talk about how, oh man, I got your back. I would love to fight for you. But if you called him for help on your math homework, would he really help you? 
It's so easy to be like, yeah, I want to be a part of the glorious, you know, we get into a fight and we beat people up and yeah, you know, we did it together. We went through the fire, but uh, will you come and get beat up with me? Or if you see me getting jumped by four people and you jump in and now we're down four to two, you're going to get beat up with me? Or if, if, you know, not glamorous stuff, like I use math homework as an example, because who really wants to do math homework? You know what I mean? Relationships are really, the romantic relationships are the same way, that if you're not going through those experiences, those glamorous times, those exciting things and things you're going to post about and you're going to tell people about and you're going to brag about, are you still in a position where you have that bond and you enjoy each other's time? So uh, very long-winded answer, but I do think that the quality of relationships is going to increase and those that aren't, you know, that, that are based around things that are eh, I think that's, those are the ones that are going to be the, the divorces and the, the breakups and things like that. But Sharina, thank you. Always good to hear from you. The next two and the final two are from my man, Matt Ferguson, also known affectionately as Santa, Dirty Santa, Santa Claus, no, not Santa Claus, but every variation of Santa. Um, his first was, will the UFC begin cutting less exciting fighters and flyweights? Well, we saw that with the PFL. I think the UFC has such an aggressive plan to get back in action. You know, if they start May 9th, we're going to see effectively an event every single week for the rest of the year. There's a chance that if, let's say, it gets pushed back a little bit further, there might be multiple weeks in a row where we're seeing events Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday afternoons. Like, the the time spent... How do I put this? The time we save now by quarantining will be more than made up for later. Uh, and I think every fighter is going to have an opportunity. The only thing that gets me a little nervous is that if you have that many events in one time, sure, throughout the calendar year, you'll have just as many events. But the for the fighters, there's less recovery time, there's less opportunity, things like that. But I don't believe that they're going to start cutting people. <clears throat> Though I'll tell you, if there ever was a time to just absolve the flyweight division... That might be it. Cody Garbrandt recently started talking trash, saying he was going to go down a flyweight and, and you know take the title from Cejudo. But I mean, fine, I guess. I guess that would be he's compelling. I think anytime you get a thirty-five or going down to twenty-five, it makes things like oh, you know, a little more interesting because thirty-five is such a more interesting division than than twenty-five. But I, it's just, I think they should have cut that for a, for a, a variety of reasons before prior to this pandemic. You know, and, and there's some people now, when I wrote this down, it was, uh, the PFL hadn't announced what they had, they had cut fighters and things like that. However, the WWE recently cut fighter, uh, cut their wrestlers. They cut a bunch of wrestlers who are more expensive. And I just want to point out the difference is that UFC guys are paid contractors, uh, meaning they, or, or I, should, I think they're all classified as contractors, but UFC employees, UFC fighters, I keep using the wrong term, Grace. Hang on. UFC fighter. <clears throat> here we go. UFC fighters only get paid when they compete, whereas WWE wrestlers are, quite frankly, much more active for obvious reasons. They're, they can be, but they get paid a salary, right? So they get paid annually, whereas MMA fighters only get paid per fight. So the budget for the UFC, if they're not planning on putting each individual fighter on a stipend, I don't think you're going to see that be affected to the sense that they're cutting people. Now, for the PFL, because they opted to go on a stipend, which they never said how much that was, by the way, it makes sense for them to have to cut people because they can't afford that, right? You can't afford 
to pay an entire roster of people thousands per month or hundreds per month, whatever it might be. However, for the UFC, if you're not paying these guys a stipend or whatever it is, then you don't have to cut them. So uh, pros and cons to both for sure. The last thing you asked was, uh, and this is also from Matt Ferguson, what's the MMA matchup landscape? So I think right now, and and what Matt's talking about is all of these fighters who are going to be coming back and they're going to want to get some action, they're going to want to get back in the game, and we've seen some trash talk happening between certain guys like Tyrone Woodley and, uh, um, oh shoot, see you guys, uh, Tyrone Woodley and Israel Adesanya or... Cody Garbrandt and Henry Cejudo or Peter Yan and Dominic Cruz. Like there's been a lot of different trash talk coming about and people are starting to get like, they're definitely getting restless. And I think there's going to be more interesting matchups, specifically in light heavyweight, John Jones and Jan Blockwitz, they're on a collision course. Tiago Santos is going to be recovering from both of his knee surgeries where he pretty much got both knees, knees replaced. Uh, Reyes, Dominic Reyes, he's looking to get a rematch with John because a lot of people feel he won. So I think there's a few different things that can happen. But just to play matchmaker here in the light heavyweight division, I think you have a perfect setup. You have John Jones fight Jan Blachowicz, and then you have, for the for the title, obviously, and then you have, Cor, uh, I'm sorry, not Corey Anderson, he just lost. You have Tiago Santos versus Dominic Reyes for the top contender spot. And then you get two matchups, right? The winner of Jones and Blackowitz fights the winner of Santos and Reyes. And then from there, if you're John Jones, you really got to start thinking about leaving because there's just at that point, you've beaten everybody there is to beat. And then you beat them again. You know, right now, there's also Anthony Smith, who's going to be fighting Glover Teixeira. I do think he's probably one spot behind those guys, but he could easily fill in for any one of those fighters at any given moment. But this is the type of stuff that there's so many different opportunities that could happen. Colby Covington versus Tyron Woodley is another one. But I just don't really think they're going to go down that way until there's a steady set schedule. And then you're going to see these matchups start really popping off, really popping off. But but again, guys, we got to keep in mind, it's really not easy for these fighters to prepare for these fights because a lot of their gyms are closed. Even guys who are still going to get to, you know, get their work in and things like that. Like it's, it's just not that simple. It's just truly not that simple. So be on the lookout for it. There's going to be more MMA talk coming your way, guys, but I'm hesitant to go full full breakdown mode right now because like we saw last week, you know, a third of the episode was spent talking about all the fights and all the matchups and how I couldn't wait to talk about them or couldn't wait to see them. Uh, and then they canceled the fight the next day. So that was that. But one thing that's happened, so I mentioned earlier, the writing and fighting class that I'm going to go and participate in all through Zoom, she's been having some really, really heavy hitters on that podcast. She had Luke Thomas, Karen Bryant, and then Ariel Hawani. I actually got to speak to Ariel Hawani and then follow up with an email. So that was really, really cool. And I'm going to tell you guys, um, you know, so I had given her my questions. I was like, hey, here's a couple questions. And, and she's such a good interviewer. Like she, I would be so nervous if I was her, but Nancy just like powers through, no doubt. And uh, so I gave her my questions and I was like, you know, hey, I'll just listen in. You know, I'm sure your students have a lot of questions to ask. Like for me, I was just so excited to be there. And then I swear to God, guys, she, she, she brings me up. She talks about my background and she's like super complimentary, right? To Ariel Hawani. And I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe this is happening. And I just like kind of waved. And she's like, so Charles, if you have any questions you want to ask him, please go right ahead. And guys, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't have any questions. And I don't know if it was because I was like so interested in what he had to say. And they were talking a lot about journalism school and stuff like that, which is 
out of my area expertise, but nevertheless, like I'm a huge fan of Ariel Hawani. And guys, there's so many questions I want to ask him, like so many. But when she asked me in that moment, I had nothing. And I just kind of started talking and then hoped it would, something would come to me. And it did. And it was a good question, you know, and I talked, I pretty much asked about how the revenue will change for the UFC because they're not making any money from the live gates, but they're also saving money on production costs and moving, taking it one step further. How will that, will that make its way down to the pockets of the fighters? Right. So stuff like that. But it, it would just, it, it wasn't my, you know, when they say like you rise to the occasion, um, I felt like when I talked to Lou Thomas at the symposium, I really rose to the occasion. I was like, wow, what a moment. And I would say this was a, this was a humbling one because I was just like, uh, uh, so really what I wanted to talk about, you know, I kind of did that thing. But he was, uh, he was patient and he gave a really good answer. And, you know, look, I think uh, it, there's some experiences that are really fucking cool. And that was definitely one of them for me. So I was pretty excited about that. Um, but guys, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to get back in the game here. I feel like I did end up talking a little bit about politics too much. And I want to clarify, I think it's cause I'm so involved right now. I've been applying for all these loans for the gym and I'm been like reading everything and I'm listening to all these press conferences. So I'm really, I've been more exposed to it than ever. And then I'm also seeing the worst parts of it. And that has been tough. You know what I mean? That's been a real pain in the ass. So it's like almost like I have to say something. But I'm also going to tell you guys I've gotten some great TV shows in. I watched Ozark Season 3. Amazing show. One of my favorites. Uh, Falda is a good one. And I got to give a shout out to this show called The Community, which, by the way, shout out to Roman Slowinski who gave me the rec- recommendation. It's quite old. It, was, it came out in 2009 and it went to 2015. But it's about community college and the super diverse classes and crowds you get in community college. And holy shit. So for those that don't know, I went to community college and it's so accurate. It's, it's so accurate. It like makes you step back a little bit. You're like, holy hell. But then on, on, taking that a step further, it, the writing is excellent. It's so funny. It's so, so funny. And it was developed and produced by the Russo brothers. And these are the gentlemen who made their, uh, their big stake in Marvel, right? They did uh, Captain America Civil War. I believe they did Winter Soldier as well. And then they did the Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. So they have really done like the, the heaviest of hitters in the Marvel series. But this was back when they were just kind of getting their start and Oh man, guys, it's hilarious. So if anybody went to community college, it's on Netflix. It's a little bit older, but it doesn't seem too dated. And um, it's really just such a funny, funny show. And you'll see a ton of people who you recognize are now famous. You know what? I won't ruin it. Just take a look at that if you guys got the time. It's definitely something I watch to, uh, you know, wind down before bed, even though it ends up legit making me laugh out loud, which I rarely say about a show. There's only been a couple that have done that, like The Office, Family Guy, but, uh, but this is definitely one of them. So check out the community. But for now, that's all I got for you guys. I'm not going to tell you about how great District Martial Art is because really, I, I just want to talk about how great the community is. If you want to come in and get top-notch training, DMA is the place to do it in all areas of MMA from boxing to wrestling to kickboxing to jiu-jitsu and even self-defense. But I will tell you guys, the, the real benefit is you're going to be entering and coming into a uh, community that's going to look out for you, that's going to, you know, be there for you, and you're going to really enjoy being around. And that, I think, is really irreplaceable. So for now, I hope everybody's staying healthy. I hope everybody's staying happy. If you need anything, let me know. And I will be back next Wednesday, hopefully, for the next episode of The Love and the Fighter.